He dwells in a world of external night, but the blackness is filled with sounds and scents, tastes and textures that most cannot perceive. Although attorney Matt Murdock is blind, his other four senses function with superhuman sharpness. By day, Murdock represents the downtrodden. At night, he is Daredevil, a masked vigilante stalking the dark streets of the city, a relentless avenger of justice. When Daredevil goes against the Kingpin, the biggest crime lord in New York City, he comes across Kingpin's newest recruit, the lunatic killer Bullseye, who is famous for his targeting skills. Bullseye is so dangerous that he can turn any object into a weapon, and he never misses his target. For Daredevil, justice is blind, and for the guilty, there's hell to pay. Ciao my people and welcome to our 27th episode of Happiness and Darkness, a superhero movie podcast where we cover superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, Image and more. If it came from a comic and had a theatrical release, you know we'll discuss it. I'm one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and today we'll be discussing Daredevil. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. And before we get to introducing our guest co-host of today, I wanted to take a moment to wish one of our previous guest co-hosts, Lee Leonard, whom you heard on our Batman Begins podcast, a very happy 45th birthday. As on the day of this recording, Sunday, March 15th, Lee is blowing out 45 candles. So very happy birthday to you, Lee. So back to our regularly scheduled program. With me today to discuss the first and so far only portrayal of Hornhead on the big screen is comic book fan and superhero enthusiast, and not to mention one of the podcast's earliest and greatest supporters, John Janchek. Hey, John, how you doing? I'm good. How are you doing, Nick? I'm doing wonderful, John. And of course, you know, I wanted to first off thank you so, so much for joining us today on uh, on this podcast to discuss Daredevil. Well, I'm thrilled to be on. I've been listening to you, I think, since the very first episode. So it's exciting to be on today. <laughs> well, we're very, very happy to have you with us. And so today we are reviewing Daredevil from 2003, directed by Mark Stephen Johnson, whom we previously encountered on our review of Ghost Rider. The story was by Mark Stephen Johnson himself. The score was by SPK's Graham Ravel, who also scored The Crow, and of course was a huge platform for Evanescence. It stars Ben Affleck as Matt Murdock, Daredevil, John Favreau as Foggy Nelson, Joe Pantoliano as Ben Urich, Jennifer Gardner as Electra Nachos, Colin Farrell as Bullseye, and Michael Clark Duncan as Wilson Fisk, the Kingpin. So on estimate, John, this film cost $78 million to make, and it made $179.2 million at the box office. So not a bad return at all. Did we enjoy it? We shall see. So, uh, John, why did you pick this movie in particular? What made you decide you wanted to bring Daredevil to the podcast? Well, um, Daredevil right now is my absolute favorite comic book um, that's on the stands. Um, the storyline is just, you can't wait for the next issue to come out. Um, so I thought being you know, so excited about the Daredevil comic, it'd be a good time to talk about the, uh, the movie. Hmm. And definitely an interesting choice for sure. And, you know, I, I, my premise actually before we tackle the characters is that the MCU was five years away. And as we had touched up on with with Charles Skaggs on our previous episode review of Constantine, you know, when it came to Marvel, this was a time in which they were trying to throw what properties they could at the wall to see what stuck. And possibly the fact of name checking so many well-known comic book writers who had worked on Daredevil in, into this film might seem a little over the top now, though they are great mentions of course 
And I will not hold against this film, as I don't know about you, John, that the Netflix TV series Daredevil blew this out of the water. Though, as the time, at the time, I was so excited that we got a Daredevil movie. So let's start by looking at a pair of characters that should help us understand our hero and what he does. On one side, we have Scott Ferrer as young Matt Murdock, who our listeners might know from Eight-Legged Freaks and Dickie Roberts' former child star. And if you've ever wondered, Scott has retired from acting as of 2010. And on the other hand, we have David Keith as Jack the Devil Murdock, who um, our listeners will know probably from Officer and the Gentleman, The Lords of Discipline, Firestarter, Men of Honor, and many more. So, John, what were your thoughts on, shall we say, this young Matt Murdock and also uh, Jack the Devil Murdock, his father? I really liked the beginning part of this movie. I thought it's probably one of the strongest parts of the film. It, they did a nice job of telling the origin story in a you know 10 15 minute block of time instead of devoting the whole movie to the origin um yeah i thought it was really good i thought uh young matt um him waking up in the hospital and having his you know sensory overload with all of his new heightened senses was a really good scene that i thought the the young actor did a really nice job of um and you know his relationship with his father um i just really i thought the beginning part of this movie was just a, a really strong um setup for the rest of the story mm, well you and me both i also really enjoyed this young matt murdoch as he's one i could definitely get behind comic book wise you know and i almost wish that through the miracles of technology he could have played adult matt as well as i was honestly very much taken with him you know it seemed almost straight out of the battling jack murdoch comic for our uh, this is my Sinet, which actually tells the whole backstory of um, Matt's father, and you, of course, you know, like you were saying in this in this um, initial few of scenes we see, he is so supportive of his dad, even more so when he becomes blind. You know, it almost seems like he is almost more of the parent than his dad. You know, it's it's so endearing, and you can tell he's a hundred percent dedicated to him. And I just love the joy he finds in his newfound powers. You know, from his disability and the scene where he gets his own back on the kids that bully him. You know, found me grinning all the way. Also, I don't know about you, but I very much enjoy what we got of Jack Murdoch and how key he is to the man that Matt will become, you know, as they both draw energy and positivity from each other to strive and fight, you know, both literally and figuratively from the situation they are in. And you also realize, I think, how desperate Jack is that he is acting as an enforcer from the mob, which sadly is the last thing that Matt sees before his accident. You know, I thought a very warm and strong relationship for Sean was actually a very strong start to the film. Now, what you know, you being a fan of the Daredevil comics, were you familiar with um, Jack Murdoch's story, or you know, was this kind of new to you when you went went into this film? It's definitely new. Um, you know, I'm a huge fan of the current Daredevil run, but haven't really delved into the character that much until now. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not super familiar with that character, but I do like how, um, you know, he saw how his son was able to, you know, come to grips with his disability and was dealing with that. And it almost made his problems look small compared to what his son was dealing with. And that prompted him to, you know, try to turn his life around. Um, yeah, just the relationship between those two is really, really well done. I, I loved it myself indeed. And so let's get to the object of controversy in this film and our titular character, of course, Ben Affleck as Matt Murdock, Daredevil. We, we did encounter him before in Batman v Superman and Justice League. And funny story, before Ben got the role, Vin Diesel was approached 
but he opted to take a role in a small movie that didn't go anywhere, Fast and Furious. So just <laughs> imagine, John, if he had done Daredevil, we might never have gotten Fast and Furious. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, are you a fan of the Fast and Furious franchise? You know, I've seen a couple of them, and they're you know they're fun action films for what they are. You know, I haven't seen all of them, but uh, you know they're enjoyable. Mm, indeed, yeah, and, and also apparently Matt Damon was approached, Guy Pearce, and even Colin Farrell. You know, and until finally Ben got the part, and he apparently came out saying he was a huge Daredevil fan, had apparently read every single issue of the comic, and actually went on record saying. I didn't want someone else to do it because I was afraid they would go out and do it different from the comic and screw it up. Okay. And apparently when the film came out, Ben himself was one of its strongest critics. He went on to say, by playing a superhero in Daredevil, I have inoculated myself from ever playing another superhero. So, you know, where he said that wearing a costume was a source of humiliation and something he didn't want to do anytime soon. Yet he then went on to take the role of Batman and went on again to say, that's the movie I want to do. I want to be a part of that. Part of it was I wanted for once one of those movies and do it right to do a good version. I hate Daredevil so much. So <laughs> these rather contradictory statements aside, John, what did you think of the Daredevil and Matt Murdock we got in this film? You know, I, you know I'm aware that Ben Affleck has great uh, distaste for his, his performance in this movie, but I actually, I thought he did a good job. Um, I, you know, this particular version of Daredevil has a, you know, a duality to his nature. He's a, you know, when he's a lawyer, you see the, uh, a lot of confidence and swagger to him. Um, to the point where you would believe that he's the kind of guy that would think that, Oh, I can, you know, although it's creepy, you know, he can stalk Electra down the alleyway, you know, just cause he thinks that, you know, she should be with him kind of, you get the sense that he has that confidence and you can get the sense that he enjoys being a lawyer, and that's really what he wants to do. And then when he's Daredevil, he's he's very somber and and almost depressed, um, you know, as if you know he wants to serve justice as a lawyer, but when that fails, he has to go out on the street and be Daredevil, and he's not really thrilled with that. And I thought he did a good job, you know, portraying that duality, and 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 I I, I like that. I liked his performance. It's it's a shame that he doesn't he himself doesn't like it, but I thought. He did a good job of bringing the two sides of of Matt Burnock to life, and and I, I did rather enjoy that. I think what hindered him a lot mm. is as I, I actually watched this movie a couple times is when he is Daredevil, and he takes off his mask, those murky contacts he's wearing. Um, I think that really hinders his acting because they you know they say that the eyes are the window to the soul, and actors use their eyes to convey a lot of emotion, and the murky contacts give his face a very blank expression and i think that that hindered him a lot whereas when he's just wearing the sunglasses as matt murdoch um he just seems a lot more animated as an actor so i i really think those contacts cut down on what he was able to do as the daredevil part of the character Mm, well, very well said. You know, I will agree with you, as I think all in all, I think we got a well-rounded character. You know, we have a very cynical, injustice-obsessed character, like you were saying, you know, who knows when to cut loose. And you, you also see a bit of a sense of humor from him, though it does make you wonder how in the world he became such an accomplished fighter, where there is no mention of any trainers or what have you. Okay, granted, we did see him you know, work out and stuff as a kid. 
But it's clear that he's studied martial arts, and I doubt he could have learned this just by himself, you know. But I suppose throwing into the mix somebody like Stick, for example, who my listeners who have not read the comics won't know, he's actually a Daredevil sensei. You might have also seen him in the uh, Netflix TV series, and that might have been too much. But I was a little bit... Huh? You know, how did he learn to become such a great fighter? But okay. And, you know, I feel this was definitely a tribute to Frank Miller's Daredevil, which is colder and more cynical than the blind Spider-Man that we had seen in the very first Stan Lee comics. All in all, I did enjoy this character, but there are some things that I thought were just plain weird. And I actually wanted your thoughts on this as well. Is What is it with him sleeping in a water-filled coffin? You know, I'm like, <laughs> I get they, they stress the fact he wants to drown out all the noises, but... Heck, if you can afford a coffin, why not create a soundproof room? You know, plus, wouldn't he risk drowning every other night? I mean, what did you think of you know, this <laughs> idea they have of him sleeping in a coffin? Yeah, I did. Um, it is odd. I had that same thought. You know, I understood why he had the, the sensory deprivation tank, you know, because he... To be able to go to sleep, he has to, you know, tune out the noises and everything. But I had the same thought. What if he turns on the side? You know, you've, got, uh, <laughs> you've got some problems there. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It was just a bit weird, you know, and the other big problem that I'm sure fans of this character had is that Daredevil doesn't kill. And among the first acts we see of him in the costumes, he actually kills a criminal you know, by throwing onto the train tracks and having been run over by an oncoming train and also leaving the calling card, you know, the double D's at the crime scene. You know, I thought here was it was a little bit over the top because Daredevil is not the Punisher. And heck, he actually gets into major arguments with the Punisher in the comics and also in the Netflix series who, you know, believes in street justice, while Daredevil, being a lawyer by trade and a devout Catholic, believes they should be entitled to a fair trial. So I guess they wanted to make him more badass, maybe. I mean, what did you think of that scene we got where, you know, he does kind of throw this guy under the, you know, under the, under the train? No, that, that definitely bothered me. The, uh, um, one of the weak parts of this movie, I think, is the writing. They um, they almost try to do too much, and you know, the movie needed to be a half hour longer with a little crisper writing. You know, going back to the sensory deprivation tank. You know, he's got this secret lair with all of his weapons behind you know cabinets and and everything. And then two scenes later, Foggy's complaining that they're getting no money from their clients. Exactly. So how did they afford? How did he afford that? And the same thing with the, uh, you know, letting that guy die. I mean, he doesn't technically kill him. He just stands there as the train comes rolling by. He doesn't try to save him. But that should have really bothered him as a Catholic. And, you know, they, they show him going to the priest. But they could have spent a little bit more time with him talking to the priest and, you know, exploring his, you know, Catholic guilt that he carries with him. Because if... If Daredevil doesn't have, you know, his Catholic faith, he's really not much different from Batman, yeah. you know, uh, you know, but, you know, that's what makes him a compelling character is he does have his faith and, you know, he let a man die and that should have bothered him a lot more. Um, you know, he goes to confession, but he, he doesn't really confess that particular, um, you know, sin. Um, and the priest is smart. You know, they write the priest pretty good, I think. You know, the priest says, you're not coming here for forgiveness. You're coming here for permission. Um, but they, they should have definitely explored the guilt of letting that man die. Uh, and it, it, did, it did definitely bother me. Well, see, that definitely makes two of us because, you know, you make a very good point about 
you know, it became very a very key part of the character later on in the comics in the modern version of Daredevil. How much he, you know, the, his Catholic faith is faith is important to him. I mean, and heck, even here, you know, we see like you were saying him. Uh, confessing to the priest and also we get that iconic moment where he's at the top of the church on the steeple and grabbing the cross which of course is a famous piece of artwork from frank miller that we've seen multiple times and so i i thought it was a little bit of a controversy there but i suppose they would just want to make him a badass but other than that as as comic book fans know and also fans of the netflix tv series will know you can't have matt murdoch without net foggy nelson and foggy nelson that is in this case played by john favreau which may seem a little odd now, as he's become known for another faithful Marvel confidant, Happy Hogan. Now, when you, you know, I'm sure you have seen the Iron Man movies and are familiar with the character of Happy Hogan. What did you think, you know, going into this movie and seeing him as Foggy Nelson? Did you like this version of Foggy Nelson? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, how can you not like John Favreau? I mean, the <laughs> guy's <laughs> amazing. But I, yeah, I thought Foggy was great. His Foggy was great. He's like the friend that we all want. Um, you know, he's fun to hang out. He makes jokes. He, he called Electra, uh, you know, sounds like a Mexican appetizer. And, <laughs> uh, when Matt asks him something, he's his go-to line is, as your attorney in this matter, I advise you and, and tells him what to do. Um, so he's a fun guy to hang out with. Um, he's also a guy that deeply cares about Matt. You know, at the very end when they're in that that little restaurant and the woman walks in, very similar to when Electra walked in, you know, he right away he's like, are you okay? You know, do you want to talk about this? Uh, and he's also a friend that will call out Matt's BS. You know, earlier in the film, when they're, you know, after Matt had his first encounter with Electra, they're sitting down and talking, and and Foggy can tell that he's he's lying, and and he says something to the effect of, "So what do you do when you turn your built-in lie detector on yourself?" You know, he was he was calling out Matt's BS. So he just seems like the friend that everybody needs. You know, fun to be with cares about you, you know, calls out your BS when he has to. Um, I, I, I thought it was a great, great performance. Oh, I, I totally agree. And, and like you said, how, how can you not love John Favreau? I mean, the, the guy is wonderful in everything he does. I actually very much enjoyed this version of Foggy. And like you and I, I felt, I felt he was a great foil to Matt Murdock. And you can certainly feel the friendship between the two and him wanting their firm to be more profitable. And once again, you have to wonder where Daredevil gets the, his funding for his his lair and stuff for sure. Seeing as they're being given, uh, you know, food mainly, it's almost like a barter when it comes to the clients they have. And the interactions between Ben Affleck and John Favreau were great. And though he may at times be used for comedic relief, I thought that unlike Karen Page, who in this film is briefly played by Ellen Pompeo, which was super underused and a huge waste of a very talented actress. And of course, we know what a huge role Karen plays in the Daredevil mythos. I absolutely loved Foggy Nelson. I thought he was great. And one of my actually one of my favorite characters in this film and one of the, I think, stronger relationships in this film. And I did touch up on her briefly here, John, you know, you being um, reading the comics. Were you upset that Karen Page wasn't given more to do in this film? Or do you think it was just maybe they just had to focus on one lover of, of uh, Daredevil's life, i.e. Electra? Yeah, I think, I mean, she certainly is an important character. Um, but this film has so many characters crammed in it. And they don't really flesh out most of them. So yeah. the fact that they played Karen, I, I think it just because there's just so many characters in this movie and they don't 
they don't give enough attention to them as it is. So they, they just had to make some decisions as to what to do with her and you know, making a cameo, you know, the Daredevil fans are, you know, happy, you know, they knew who she was, but there just really wasn't any place for her to, to do more in this movie. Yeah, exactly. Cause maybe, you know, they didn't know if they were going to get a sequel, even though they had a great return and there was probably, it could have warranted the sequel seeing the return they had, monetary wise so they maybe could have brought more of karen page into the following one but maybe here you know the fact that maybe name checking all the comic book writers and putting in so many people and characters that were well known at the time they were maybe like okay we're gonna go you know for bust and just throw in everything we can and hope that people will like it so that may have been their impetus in this and so we get to another huge part of this movie and a very well-loved character is in the comics you know, comic fans absolutely adore her jennifer garner as electra nachos who our listeners will know from Juno, Valentine's Day, Miracles from Heaven, Peppermint, and many more. And she's actually, I believe, still married or was married to Ben Affleck. I'm not sure if the two are together. Somebody will have to tell me that. Maybe you might know that, John. But what were your I thoughts? Sorry? Yeah, they're, not, they're no longer married. Uh, ben Affleck actually just in the last couple months uh, in an interview said one of his great life regrets is he couldn't make that marriage work and he just you know his demons just got too much of them but yeah unfortunately they're no longer married oh okay well, well thank you for, for for confirming that for then for telling us that because in fact i was wondering i i couldn't find anything about that there so you know talking of um electra and of course jennifer garner's performance you know what did you think of, of this electra did you like what we got on screen well, I think Jennifer Gardner did a good job with what she was given, but unfortunately, Electra to me is one of the great disappointments of this story. Um, she just really doesn't do anything. Um, in a sense, um, in a sense, she got fridged. I don't know if you're familiar with that term, but <laughs> um, you know, early on in Kyle Rayner's run as Green Lantern, his girlfriend was murdered and stuck in a refrigerator, so they coined you know, this term "fridged," where you know. It's a female character that really serves no purpose other than to get the male character angry and spur him into some kind of action. And that's really, you know, she doesn't do much. You know, she smiles a lot when she first meets Matt. So then she cries a lot when her dad gets killed and then she gets killed. I mean, other than that, she doesn't do much. So, you know, Jennifer Gardner did what she could with that character, but they just, they should have introduced her and then maybe did the death of Electra in, in a sequel. Um, because it, it just, that story arc just did not work for me. Well, I mean, of course, it's one of the most memorable um, story arcs in, in the comics, for sure. And the relationship between Daredevil and Elektra is one of the big ones in the, in the mythos of, of Daredevil. And, you know, people might have wondered why Elektra was wearing black leather instead of red, red satin. I'm sure nobody is complaining about it aesthetically because she looks great in black leather. But the reason is that it ha had it been red they would not have been able to hide the harnesses used during Electra's action scenes. So that seems a bit odd to me because I'm sure you could probably hide them even with red satin, but maybe it was 2003 and they couldn't do it. Um, I, <laughs> I enjoyed this version of Electra, you know, and the relationship between her and Matt, which felt genuine knowing that the two are, were actually a couple in real life. One of my favorite scenes was actually the playful fight the two have in the playgrounds. And I found that entertaining though. Doesn't it make it, I was thinking about this too. You know, maybe I'm nitpicking a lot here, John, but doesn't it make you wonder that people would talk seeing a blind man fighting a wealthy socialite in broad daylight? 
you know, probably for the best that social media, it was probably for the best that social media wasn't a thing yet. But still, you have these two fighting in broad daylight. And I, I thought to myself, mm, it's a bit, it's a great fight scene, but um, it just, it just seemed a little bit too public. And then it wouldn't have maybe let, you know, people think that, ah, this guy must be Daredevil and she must be a real fighter and not just a socialite and all this kind of thing. I mean, what did you think of that, that of that fight scene? Well, it's, I know that fight scene gets a lot of uh, criticism for being a little corny. I actually didn't mind the fight scene itself. You know, I thought, you know, how do two highly skilled combat fighters flirt? You know, they fight each other. So I didn't, I didn't really mind it. You know, I thought it was just a fun way of showing two, you know, two people flirting in a, you know, combative way. Um, the, the idea of someone seeing them fighting, um, yeah, they show mostly kids uh, in the playground, so they don't. They probably didn't really pay attention. You know, Matt Murdock's a fairly high-profile attorney. You know, the kingpin knows of him at that party, um, but the kids probably don't. And um, I also think that the the reporter character—I can't think of his name right now. Ben um, The first, yes, the first time I watched the movie, I thought, well, you know, the guy, the actor, does a nice job with that character, but you can really remove him from the movie and it doesn't change anything. Um, but the second time I watched it, I realized he's there to emphasize the fact that Daredevil's an urban legend. Nobody really knows that for sure he exists. So even if, you know, somebody did see Matt, you know, jumping and flipping around on seesaws and stuff, um, the existence of Daredevil is still a question. And, you know, the, the reporter being in the movie emphasizes that fact. So, you know, he's very much an urban legend. So I don't think that, you know, his identity would have been revealed if someone happened to see Matt, you know, jumping around on, on the, on the seesaws and the, the slides and stuff. Oh, well, <clears throat> well, see that that's a great defense for sure. And, um, I think, you know, I really, like I mentioned before, I really enjoyed the fight scene. And as we know, of course, in the Marvel Universe, Elektra is considered one of the most accomplished fighters in Marvel. And I think we got to see some of this in the film. And, of course, we got her iconic death by her own weapon at the hands of Bullseye. So another positive of this film, I think. Now, you touched up on um, Joe Pantoliano as Ben Urick who, uh, once again, in the um, Daredevil mythos, is a big character, but he's also a big character in the Marvel Universe at, at large because he is um, a journalist for the Daily Bugle and has actually worked or brushed shoulders with a certain character by the name Peter Parker. Um, he's, he's considered one of the toughest journalists for the Daily Bugle and actually forms a very strong bond of friendship with Daredevil and also Spider-Man. And through them has actually exposed villains like Green Goblin and Kingpin. So you said that the first time you, that you saw this, you weren't particularly impressed by what Joe, Pant or what Joe Pantoliano did or what the, the role of the character of Ben Urick. But you said that you appreciated him more on your further rewatch. So I'm, I'm thinking that you you liked Ben Urich in this film. Oh, I do, and I liked his performance. Uh, I thought he portrayed him as the kind of creepy type dude that would be hunting down urban legends and would go to a crime scene and not be phased by somebody's body split in half by a train. Um, you know, I thought he did he did a good job in the role. I just didn't see that character adding much to the story the first time I watched it. Um, but the second time I watched it and I was thinking about that playground scene, if you take him out of the story, you don't get the sense that Daredevil is an urban legend. So I, he, you know, 
he is smartly written and is an important part of the story uh, from that aspect. Oh yes, very much so. And 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 I suppose once again they they had to put Ben Urick in somewhere because, like I mentioned before, he is important in in the books. And they could maybe could have given him something a little bit more to do. But it was nice to see the burgeoning friendship between him and Matt at the end of the film. You know when he's writing up his um, article and he decides to not reveal Daredevil's persona or uh, identity. So I thought that was cool. And at the end, you know when he sees Matt. At the top of the building, it says "You go get him, Matt." I thought that was that was kind of cool, and it made me smile because, as a fan of the of the of the the comics, I was really happy to see that. So that was cool. And so we yeah. come to and yeah. so we come to the dark side of the spectrum, John, the villains. And there's a lot to say about these guys. So let's start with Colin Farrell as Bullseye. Our listeners, of course, will know him from Tigerland, Phone Booth, Saving Mr. Banks, Horrible Bosses, and many more. So when it comes to you, John, first off, were you a fan of Colin Farrell's and what did you think of Bullseye? Well, yeah, I like Colin Farrell and he was he was a pretty hot actor at the time. You know, uh, Phone Booth came out, I think, maybe two years before Daredevil. Um, he basically carries that movie. It's it's him inside of a phone booth, which I don't even think there's any phone booths around anymore. Um, <laughs> but that whole movie is him in a phone booth, you know, with a sniper uh, watching him, and and he carries the film, does a great job. Um, his bullseye is okay. He just doesn't have a lot to work with. Um, you know, there's really no motive for this bullseye character. Um, when Daredevil makes him miss in their first fight, you know, he, he has a little bit of motive there. That's the first time he's missed his target and he's mad about that. But other than that, there's really no personality to this character that the writers give. You know, I think Colin Farrell does what he can. He kind of exaggerates some arm movements and rubs his forehead a lot. Um, you know, he does what he can. They just, um, I just don't think the writers gave him a whole lot to work with. Mm. Well, exactly. And, you know, we talked about, um, we've mentioned this before about the fact of what they're wanting to throw in as many well-known characters as possible because they gave us the Kingpin and they gave us Bullseye because Mark Stephen Johnson wanted to wheel this guy out at all costs. And we know he is the cause of many woes for our friend Matt Murdock. And like you said, this was a Bullseye who was a little over the top. And I guess Kingpin refused to give him a costume as the story, we see him actually ask him for a costume and he doesn't get one and the story apparently goes that mark stephen johnson actually wanted to give the character his iconic black and white or dark blue and white costume take your pick but it was none other than joe quesada current vice president and creative director at marvel who dissuaded him from doing this and to be honest seeing that we already got daredevil in his costume I don't know if it, would have, if it would have hurt the film had we seen Bullseye in his. I mean, were you unhappy about the costume choice for Bullseye? Um, or are you happy with it? Or would you like to have seen him in his iconic black and white costume? It didn't bother me that he wasn't in costume. It bothered me that they had that scene where he asked for a costume and doesn't get it. Um, I don't understand why they didn't take that scene out if he wasn't going to get a costume, unless the director was just trying to say, hey, I wanted to give this guy a costume and someone overrode me. Um, but sometimes comic book costumes don't translate real well to the big screen. Um, so I don't know how well his iconic outfit would have worked. Um, so it didn't really bother me. You know, um, It was just weird that they have that scene where he requests one and 
it never materializes. They, it seems like that should have been on the cutting room floor. I totally agree. In fact, it definitely makes that scene, that line a little redundant. You know, they could have gone back and said, you know, as Luke said, going back to editing, maybe you've done a pickup or something, cut that out. And at least it, it makes more sense because then we're like, yeah, where's your costume? <laughs> you know, um, that, you know, the, Bullseye is an over the top villain. And I thought he was a good contrast to Affleck's Daredevil. You know, we get to see his psychopathic nature and that he can kill with pretty much everything. You know, like when he kills the guy in the pub with paper clips or the old lady in the plane with a peanut, which I think reflected some of um, Johnson's dark humor. I think the film could have actually, to be honest, I think it could have ended with Bullseye and Matt's showdown in the church. And they could have left the encounter with Kingpin maybe for a further movie, seeing as, like I said, the the, um, the box office treated this film well. But and, you know, could maybe instead of giving us an Electra solo movie, which we'll discuss at another time, they could have maybe have given us a Daredevil, too. Now, were you happy with the fact that we got two villains or, you know, are you of the idea that maybe had they just given us the Daredevil bullseye fight and, it, and ended it with that? It would have been OK. It would have, it would have been okay, uh, except for Matt. Um, Matt Murdock's the only character that really has a, a story arc in this film. Um, you know where he goes from, you know, letting that uh, perpetrator die at the beginning to sparing Kingpin's life at the end. Um, you know, if you don't have that fight with Kingpin, you don't have the completion of that story arc. Um, so, you know, having the, the big, the two big fights, you know, I think I didn't mind because you needed to see Daredevil had every right in the world to kill Kingpin and decides, no, I'm not going to go down this path anymore and, and, and spares his life. So I think he would lose the, the completion of that story arc. And that's the only character that really has an arc in the film. So that to me, that was an important climax, the, the fight with Kingpin. Mm. And, and the, you know, the, the last point I actually wanted to ask you about when it came to Bullseye was, did you mind the fact that they let him stay Irish? Um, no, um, you know, I'm not, you know, when I go to see a comic book movie, I understand they're going to, they're going to make some changes. So, you know, I didn't, didn't mind uh, that so much. Um, you know, it, it you know, you know, they he was living in Ireland. He was in an Irish pub when he got that phone call. So didn't mind that. No, I, I, I agree with you. I think you know it doesn't really matter. As heck, you know, for all we know, people who read the comics can make up their own story and say maybe he is Irish. You know, so um, it, it it works. It works because they never really tell us. I mean, we know that he was in the um, he was a soldier and stuff in the um, in the comics, but they don't really tell us you know whether he had Irish heritage or what have you. So it works. And so we mentioned him. Let's get to the main man himself, the late, great Michael Clark Duncan as Wilson Fisk, the Kingpin. The man has been in so many great movies. We think of Green Mile. He was also in Armageddon, The Whole Nine Yards. And also his deep, beautiful voice gave life to characters in Kung Fu Panda, Brother Bear. And also he was the voice of Kilowog in Green Lantern. Now, when Duncan was cast, John, he weighed 290 pounds and he was actually asked to gain 40 pounds for the role in order to fit the physique of Kingpin. Apparently, in order to do this, if anybody wants to look like Kingpin, he would lift weights for 30 minutes a day and power lifted with one or two reps a day, as well as eating whatever he wanted. He may also have been chosen, I think, as he had voiced the Kingpin in Spider-Man, the new animated series. So there is that, too. So... What did you think of this kingpin, um, John? Did you did you enjoy him? 
Oh, I did. Um, here's another case where, you know, it's a villain that really isn't given a lot to do or a lot of backstory. So there was not a lot of material for uh, Michael Clark Duncan to work with. Um, but what he what he brings to the role, I enjoyed. He definitely has a, a confidence to him. Um, you know, when he uh, dismisses his uh, his henchman at the end of the movie and he's like, you know, he wants to handle it himself. You know, I, I liked his confidence. Um, and he's he definitely has a has an evil side. You know, at the at the funeral when Electra's going to her car, he he looks over there and he flashes the smile that just tells you that, you know, this is an evil man. He's he's smiling at someone, you know, at their lowest point in their life, losing a parent. So um what he brought to the role I enjoyed. Um there just wasn't a whole lot for him to do, unfortunately. Mm. And, you know, the fact that they, they chose an African-American character, were you, uh, were you okay with this or would you have rather we had seen somebody a la Vincent D'Onofrio do it playing this role? Uh, so, as long as the, you know, the actor or actress they cast for a role, you know, does a good job. I don't, you know, you know, their race doesn't, doesn't really bother me. And I thought he did, you know, again, he doesn't have a lot to work with. Um, but what he had, I thought he did a great job. So I, I did not mind that, you know, the change of the, of the race of the character. Mm. And, you know, granted, when I went back to this rewatch, Vincent D'Onofrio's stellar portrayal of Kingpin was on my mind. But I did like what Duncan did with this character. You know, the build is there. The persona is there. Like you said, you feel he's menacing enough and may seem like your run of the mill early 2000s villain and not be as complex as D'Onofrio's Kingpin, but he worked well in this film. And honestly, I think, like you said, they could have given him a whole movie. And heck, they could have given us the Born Again storyline, which I think Duncan could have carried well. So, yeah, he was a little bit underdeveloped, and it's a, it's a shame, but it seems like it was a bit of a trait in this film. So, uh, John, any final thoughts on the movie before we move forward? Um, well, I like I said, I you know watching it and thinking about when this movie came out, I I thought they did a decent job. Um, the idea to make a Daredevil movie was kind of odd um, because Daredevil's not really a major character. Um, he's a B level, if not a C level character. Um, you know, he's not even in. You know, they did the Secret Wars big crossover. Marvel did. He's not even in that story. Um, so he's not a character that a lot of people are familiar with. And I think taking a, a B or C level character, um, I think you got the idea of who he was. And um, I just wish the writing was a little bit crisper. Um, you know, the the secret lair. Yet they have no money for their law firm. Uh, Electra not really having much to do. Um, the villains not being fleshed out. You know, I just wish the writing was a little bit, a little bit better. Um, and you know, Matt's story arc I liked. You know, going from not caring that the guy died at the beginning to sparing Kingpin's life at the end. Um, the one thing that both times I watched it still irritated me a little bit is um, Matt Murdock's monologue at the end of the film. He says something to the effect that, you know, I set out to save the city, but in the end, Electra saved me. And I'm not really sure how she saved him. Um, <laughs> the, second time I, the second time I watched it, I watched it specifically to see what impact she had on his life uh, that would cause him to, you know, not pursue the path of vengeance and not kill Kingpin. And I'm still not sure why. She had such a big impact on his life. So that that ending monologue still really, really bothers me. You know, he found the good luck charm hanging in his apartment, but 
I still don't know how that had such a big impact that it, it changed his life. And, um, that just, that end monologue just bothers me. <laughs> so if someone knows how he saved his life, please make a comment. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> let, please, please let I'm, us I'm, know. Exactly, listeners, please let us know because I can't for the life of me uh, find that either. And I actually also wanted to address, you know, because we talked about the, the lack of Bullseye's costume. Did you like what they did with Daredevil's costume? Because, for example, once again, comparing it you know, to the Netflix series, a lot of people weren't happy with what they'd done in the Netflix series with the costume. Did you like this costume? You know, in some scenes, I think it looks cool. And in some scenes, it looks a little, a little hokey. You know, those, those two little horns sticking up at the top. It's sometimes it's just really hard to translate comic book art to real life. And and Daredevil's costume is one of those that you know there were sometimes those little horns. I'm just like, ah, you know, that just looks really goofy. So um, it's just a difficult costume to portray in real life. And uh, that's one of those things that anytime there's a comic book movie, that's what they struggle with. You know, the first X-Men film, they put them all in black costumes because they didn't think that the, you know, the brightly colored X-Men uniforms would work. And I think it's the case here. Uh, it just you know, sometimes looks good and sometimes is a little, little hokey looking. And, and, you know, were you actually a fan of the Netflix TV series? Have you had a chance to check that out? Well, unfortunately, I don't have Netflix and everybody raves about all the Marvel shows on Netflix, but especially the Daredevil show. So I, I keep hoping they release that on DVD. Um, but as of date, they have not. So I, I definitely want to see it. And I'm hoping for a DVD release so I can see just how good it is. And, and everybody over here, you know, raves about it. Uh, well, you know what? Um, I de I'm not, not going to spoil anything for you. And I definitely, I'm sure they'll release it on, on DVD or, or Hope Video for sure. And definitely pick it up, you know, once you do, once it does, because it's wonderful. And I will extend that invitation to all our listeners who have not checked out Daredevil, the Netflix TV series. It is brilliant. And also what I wanted to address here, John, was the music. Because I have to admit, like a lot of folks, I was a big fan of Evanescence at the time. And I still own the album Fallen, which features the two songs which became huge for Evanescence with this one, which are Bring Me to Life and My Immortal, which are two songs which I still enjoy to this day. Now, were you a fan of the, of the soundtrack and are you a fan of Evanescence? Not a huge fan of Evanescence. Um, I have that album. It's a it's a great album, uh, and they were a very hot band at the time. Um, it's like it seems like they knew that Daredevil was a a more obscure character, so they loaded this film with actors that were hot at the time and music that was hot at the time. Try to you know trying to get as many people attracted to this movie as as they could, and I think that the music still holds up. I mean, those two songs that they featured are still great songs. Uh, they make for great scenes in the movie, um, and I, th I thought that the music choice worked really well. Oh, you and me both, and like I said, yeah, I, I, uh, when I actually went to watch this film, it actually made me want to uh, listen again to Evanescence's album Fallen, and it's, it's definitely a great album for sure, and like you said, it still holds up indeed. And okay, so let's get to ratings. Where does this movie rate for you on a scale of 1 to 10? Um, I have to, I, this movie gets a bad rap from a lot of book, a lot of comic book movie fans. Uh, I think you do have to remember when it came out. Um, you know, the only really big superhero movies that came out before this film were Superman one and two, uh, and Batman and Batman returns, um, Marvel 
didn't really have much out at the time. They had Howard the Duck, um, they had Blade, uh, and they had X Men. Um, so Marvel didn't really have a track record of great movies. And you also had, you know, Superman three and four that were not well received. Um, DC also had the Swamp Thing movie, and you had Batman and Robin came out before this. So it, it came out at a time that you know, we're spoiled now. You know, Marvel can put out a movie like Guardians of the Galaxy with characters that nobody knew of, and it was a smashing success. You know, back then, you didn't really have, you weren't guaranteed sequels for sure. Um, so yeah, I thought they did a good job. I thought if if you didn't know who Daredevil was, you would have a good feel for him after this watching this movie. Uh, yeah, the writing could have been a lot better. Um, the villains could have been fleshed out more. Uh, the Electra thing should have been in the sequel. It should have been, you know, she should have been in this movie, and then he killed her in the sequel, so he can flesh her out more. Um, given all that and the time it came out, I would I'd give it, you know, six out of ten Billy Clubs. It's enjoyable. It gives you a sense of who Daredevil is, uh, but it definitely has its flaws. Well, uh, you know, I'm going. That's definitely great points. I'm going to give it go one point higher. I'm going to give this a seven out of ten. I think the film, like you said, gets more hate than it actually should. As the characters are not bad, the story's good, the interactions are fun, and the soundtrack is cool. Granted, it is far from the superhero movies we get today and by no means as complex or has as many layers. But I still found this, like you, an entertaining and fun flick and minus Daredevil sleeping in a coffin. Please don't let Daredevil sleep in a coffin, people. Don't. Just don't. Um, but other than that, yes. Yeah. If you take out uh, Matt's speech at the end about Electra saving him, it's a 7 out of 10 for me. That speech just drives me crazy because I don't know why... She had such a big impact in his life. That's why Electra needed two movies. And and again, they weren't you weren't guaranteed sequels back then. So they did what they could. Yeah, I, I definitely think so too. So um, let's get to reading recommendations. Did you have any stories you would like to suggest to our listeners? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, if you like Daredevil, or even if you've never read a Daredevil comic, uh, the current run by Chip Zdarsky is amazing. Uh, Daredevil's been a character that I've been interested in, but just never can get into his comic. You know, I pick up an issue here or there and just didn't grab my attention. Picked up issue one of this current run, and it is, it's one of the best runs I've read, and I've been collecting comics since mid-80s. Um, it's, um, it starts off where, in the previous arc, uh, Daredevil gets killed, and he comes back to life. I don't know how he came, comes back to life, but people come back to life all the time in comic books. <laughs> um, but because, you know, he's he's just come back to life, his skills aren't as sharp as they were when before he got killed. And he's in a fight with a, a minor street thug, and he throws up against the wall, and the thug hits his head and is inadvertently killed. And this just devastates Matt. You know, talking about the movie where he watches that guy die and it doesn't bother him, it bothers him in this comic book. He starts questioning everything. He questions his faith. He questions the existence of God. He questions his purpose. He used to think that, you know, I was given this gift to, you know, fight bad guys and now somebody dies because of it. And the whole story arc, they're up to issue 19 now, and it's just basically Matt Murdock rediscovering everything about his life and it's the most compelling thing i've read in comics maybe i'll go as far to say as maybe i've ever read in comics it's just such a good read it's it's 
the best character driven story arc I've ever read. Um, I tweeted after one of the issues that the Daredevil comic book, I don't want to know what happens next. I want to know how Matt Murdock responds to what happens next. Um, and I actually tagged Chip Zdarsky and he liked that tweet. So that was kind of exciting that the writer <laughs> saw how much I liked his work, but it's, it's an amazing run. Um, you can pick up a couple, uh, trade paperbacks to get caught up. Uh, issue 19 just came out uh, two weeks ago, and I can't wait for issue 20. It's to the point where I buy the issue and I read it in my car in the parking lot before I go home because i got to know what happens to Matt next. It's it's an amazing, amazing run. Uh, and then going back to the classics, um, you know, Daredevil 181 by Frank Miller is this issue where uh, Elektra gets killed. And what makes that particular story interesting is it's told from Bullseye's perspective. Um, it's not told from Daredevil's or Elektra's perspective. It's told from Bullseye's perspective. So it's an important issue uh, with the death of Elektra. And it's told, um, it's written really interesting because it's, it's Daredevil's perspective um, as he goes about, you know, trying to get back at Matt by killing Elektra. And... Uh and and def well definitely some uh, some great suggestions there for sure you know and speaking actually of Frank Miller I also wanted to suggest Daredevil by Frank Miller and Klaus Janssen Volume One which you can actually now get as big trade paperbacks it collects uh, Daredevil issue one fifty eight to one seventy two these came out between nineteen seventy nine nineteen eighty you get Daredevil fighting Bullseye Kingpin and even the Hulk Daredevil's origin is retold here and also features the introduction of Elektra Stick and the Hand all of which will become pivotal parts of the Daredevil mythology. And I think the book serves a, as a great introduction to what um, John was talking about, you know, the Electra story, which we get in issue 181. You can actually get the collected version of those, which is Daredevil volume two, also by Frank Miller and Klaus Janssen, 173 to 184. You get the death of Electra, you get Bullseye, you get, um, once again, Kingpin, who plays a key role in the story. And it also includes the story Child's Play, which is a great one featuring the Punisher. Also, I wanted to suggest Born Again, once again by Frank Miller and David Mazzucchelli from 1986. After transforming Daredevil from a lighter superhero to the gritty street-level character that Marvel fans know and love, Frank Miller returned for another short run on the ongoing series with artist David Mazzucchelli in, this in the story Born Again. It's a universally acclaimed story and saw Kingpin learn Daredevil's true identity. Matt Murdock, um, you know, so he finds out it's Matt Murdock. He finds this out through Karen Page, and he launches a coordinated effort to systematically dismantle every aspect of Murdock's life before destroying him. It's a great, great story. And finally, I wanted to suggest Guardian Devil from 98 by Kevin Smith and Joe Quesada, who did some great artwork here. The story is sees Karen Page breaking up with Matt Murdock, leading him to turn increasingly towards his Catholic faith as a baby is rumored to be the Antichrist and is left in Daredevil's care. As a superhero questions his faith and relationship with Karen, several major villains resurface to test his fragile state. The resulting story would impact Matt's psyche for years to come and inspires both the 2003 film and is directly homaged in the final season of the Netflix series. So definitely pick up Guardian Devil as well, my people. So, John, we selflessly promoted stories. Let's get to sh shameless self-promotion. When it comes to you and what you do, where can our fine listeners find you on the interwebs? Oh, I do have a Facebook page. Um, um, I post, it's mostly family stuff with some comic book stuff in it. Uh, I do have a Twitter, uh, which is at John Yanchek one. 
is my okay. Twitter handle. And uh, like I said, I, that's where you'll find all of my my geekiness coming out in full force. Uh, uh, post comic books, my favorite comic books of the week. I post about professional wrestling because I'm a big pro wrestling fan. I post about movies that I see. You know, I go see my thoughts about movies. So yeah, it's my Twitter feed is full of full of geeky and nerd culture. <laughs> <laughs> well, my people, definitely be sure to check out John and, and chat to him. He's a great guy to talk to and always has wonderful insights. And of course, if you want to be like John and join us here on the show to discuss a movie of your choice, feel free to shoot us an email at happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. We also really appreciate your thoughts and feedback about the show. You can reach out to us with those also at happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com and we'll read them out here on the show. Feel free to show your support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us as Happiness and Darkness. You can also follow us on Twitter, where we're at High Darkness Pods, or on Instagram under Hin Darkness. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast and are feeling generous, you can hit the donate button on soundcloud.com slash whiskey and cigarettes or become patrons of ours on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash happiness in darkness. We really appreciate that. Any donators will be able to pick the movie we next discuss, even pick one of the recurring co-hosts we discuss it with or come on the show themselves to discuss the movie of their choice. Also, as always, we want to thank our video maker, David Moreno, the mad scientist behind all the great episode trailers you can find on our Facebook page. Be sure to check him, check him out and subscribe to his nostalgia channel on YouTube. The man does great work. And speaking of things to come, next week we'll be joined by Blaine Potvin, who has chosen the 2016 Tim Miller film Deadpool. That said, when it comes to you, John, once again, I look forward to having you back here on Happiness and Darkness. And I certainly thank you for joining me today. Oh boy! If if you had me back, I'd be thrilled. This was a lot of fun. If I can just uh, just have a closing thought, real quick. I was thinking, you know, this week as I was, you know, get ready to to chat with you about Daredevil. Um, I just think it's really cool that you know I'm here in uh, Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio, just outside of Akron. You're over there in Italy, and we're you know chatting about comic books and superhero movies, and you know, on the surface, you would think that you know you're in a whole different continent than me that we wouldn't have a whole lot in common uh but here are having a fun talk about you know daredevil and our enjoyment of comic book movies and i think i had this thought that you know too often or it's too easy to see the differences that we have as people um but if we look close we have a whole lot more in common than we have different and anybody that likes comic books and superhero movies i think deep down inside we all wish we had some kind of superpower um and I really think that if we look at people and look to see the, the things we have in common, that's probably the greatest superpower we can have is just, you know, focus on the stuff we have in common what and what unites us as people. And just, you know, being able to talk to you halfway around the world about comic book movies has just, just been a thrill and, and it's really exciting. Oh, well, I absolutely love that sentiment and I would definitely condone it for sure. I mean, I think we definitely need thoughts like those in these very troubled and difficult times indeed john so thank you very much for that i absolutely love that and well folks thanks as always for listening to the show and supporting us we will see you next week with blaine potman and deadpool until then stay super ciao my people Wake me up. Wake me up.